Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Paul. I, I don't work for the church. I work a kind of normal day job, um, if that's possible. Uh, I've been speaking through the book of Genesis from chapter 1. Uh, last time I spoke, about a month ago, I spoke on chapter 11, the, the Tower of Babel. Genesis, first book of the Bible, working from the creation of the world. And now we're just arriving at a new section of the book of Genesis. And it's, like I said earlier... It's going to be following the story of this man, Genesis, um, Genesis, Abraham, or Abraham. He starts off as Abraham, becomes Abraham, and his wife, Sarai, who becomes Sarah. And i get into that in a moment, but first, I'm just going to share with you something. It's a very ancient piece of writing. It's a prayer that would have been around, probably around the time of Abraham. It's an ancient Assyrian prayer, and it's the prayer of someone whose life isn't going well, and they're trying to work out which God they've offended or, or which God they should pray to. And they don't know what the gods are like and they don't know what they've done wrong. It's called a prayer to every God. And it goes like this. Although I am constantly looking for help, no one takes me by the hand. When I weep, they do not come to my side. I utter laments, but no one hears me. I am troubled. I'm overwhelmed. I cannot see. Man is dumb. He knows nothing. Mankind, everyone that exists, what does he know? Whether he's committing sin or doing good, he doesn't even know. He does not even know. So this person's kind of asking, what is God like? What are the gods like? And what do they want from me? What do they want from human beings, from people? And it's into this kind of world, this kind of mindset. People are kind of feeling around in the darkness, guessing at what the gods or God is like. And into that world, something very different happens. And we come to Genesis chapter 12. And it's the story of God revealing himself to this man, Abraham. And this idea, someone was talking to me this morning, that it's easy to lose when you've had the Bible and you've known the Bible for many years. It's easy to lose something of the excitement of the idea that God would reveal himself to human beings and speak to human beings into a world where people were basically feeling around in the dark. The idea that God came and spoke to somebody. The excitement of that. I'm going to do it a bit differently. Those of you that have heard me speak before, often I'll have someone come and read the whole passage in one big block, and then we kind of go from there. And uh, my wife is thankfully very patient, um, has agreed. We're going to do something a bit different. Basically, we're going to read um, Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read it from the NIV, if you'd like to follow. And we're going to read it in four parts, and I'm going to interrupt Felicity as she's reading. And for those of you that like to feel in control and you like to know where we're going and how long's left, uh, there, we're gonna, it's going to be broken into four, four readings and I'm going to ask 11 questions and those questions are numbered so you have a rough idea of how long's left, how long he's going to bang on for still so you can feel in control. But before we do that, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that it does transform lives. Thank you for the way that it has changed human history. And we pray, would you send your Holy Spirit among us now so that we can hear your word and be changed by your word for the good and for the blessing of this world. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Felicity, over to you. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So I'll interrupt there. Interruption number one. Chapter 12 starts off. So God speaks to this man, Abram. And he says, go, that first word there, go. And, and the rabbis and, and scholars of Hebrew who, who look at language and how language works, that word go right there at the beginning, it carries a real weight of urgency. It's, it, you could translate it as get out. It's like get up and go right now, quickly. It's, it's an urgent thing. It's a big thing for God to ask as well. He's not, he's not just saying go and move down the street. He's asking Abraham to leave the security of his culture His dad's died at this point, but he's asking him to leave his brother and his brother's family, his friends and his family inheritance, and go somewhere. He doesn't know where he's going. And it's actually quite a similar dynamic in the conversation that you see in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus calls the fishermen, some of his first disciples. This is um, Matthew chapter 4, 19. Jesus says, come, follow me. It's like, now, come now, follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. And a bit like here with Jesus, with Abraham, God's very clear, that next big chunk there underneath, it's very clear what's going to happen if Abraham obeys. It depends on Abraham obeying, but it's very clear what will happen if he does obey. Firstly, I'll make you into a great nation. And the first people who are hearing this story, we've just learned from the previous chapter that Abraham's wife, Sarai, is barren. She can't have kids. And so that first promise is a bit of an eyebrow raise. I'll make you into a great nation. The bloke whose wife can't have kids. Straight away, that's a bit of an eyebrow raiser. And I'll bless you. And the idea is I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing. And I'm going to protect you from those that would curse you. And through you, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. So it's blessing, blessing, blessing. If you obey, there's going to be a lot of blessing. So when God calls Abraham to go, to get out, it's a big call. He's clear about what he's calling Abraham into, to be blessed and then to go and be a blessing to the whole world. So, question is, what will Abraham choose? Now, I've used, people this morning made a big deal out of me using pictures of camels. I just got into a thing, I, I had to make a slideshow for this talk, and I just got quite into pictures of camels. So there's a number, of, I apologize, it, it might just be a hump you have to get over. Um, if you don't like camels, there's quite a lot of camel imagery in this slideshow, so I apologise if that's the thing for you. I had a number of conversations this morning about camels, so if that's not your thing, I'm sorry, just ignore them. Um, (laughs) What will Abraham choose? He's been given this instruction and this promise, what will he choose? Something I love about the Bible, but I also struggle with about the Bible, is that the Bible, so Genesis chapter 12 is a very ancient piece of text. And the culture it's speaking into is very different, very removed from the culture we're in today. So very old, very culturally removed, and yet suddenly it can give you a question that's relevant to you now at this point in the 21st century. And one of those questions that's hit hit Abraham, but it hits me as well, is this. What might God be calling me to leave today? And with that, Where is God calling me to go? And then link to those two questions with God's promise of blessings. What blessing will be lost if I don't obey? I uh, grew up as a a kid um, in my kind of, in the conversation and the dinner table conversation in my family, a name came up a lot, and it was the name Jim Elliot. Uh, Some of you may have heard of him. He was a, if you haven't heard of Jim Elliot, I'm not going to tell you his life story. If you don't do anything else as a result of today, go away and look up Jim Elliot 
and find out about his life. His wife wrote a book about uh, his life called Through Gates of Splendor, which you're bound to be able to find online. That's Through Gates of Splendor. Look up Jim Elliot later on, an amazing person. He grew up being a bit of a kind of hero of mine as a kid, and he had this quote which he lived out to the full. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And if you look up Jim Elliot, you'll see that he lived that out to the hilt. So, what's God calling me to leave today? Where's God calling me to go? What blessing will be lost if I don't obey? And if you're not a Christian this evening, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, this applies to you too, because God calls all people to leave our old way of living and come and live his way. That's an invitation to any human being who hears what Jesus says. Jesus says, come leave your old life and live my life my way. It's an invitation to everyone. And, and to be clear on that, Jesus never said, come and it's going to be a bed of roses. I'm going to give you happiness and peace and joy and that's going to be it. It's an invitation into a hard way of life, but one that's ultimately fulfilling and has meaning and purpose and is a blessing. So what will Abraham choose? Back over to you, Felicity. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Sechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Sorry, I forgot to skip there. My bad. So Abram decides he's going to obey God. He leaves his family, leaves his land. And he heads out. And God confirms that he's doing the right thing. I don't know if you noticed those words. To your offspring. Abraham goes from where, he, from where his family is. And he goes into the land of Canaan. And God says, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So it's going well. And um, there will be some people here this evening. And all of us will have met someone like this. I think if you've been around church life. It often happens at the beginning when someone first gives their life to Jesus or decides to follow Jesus. There's a lot of joy and excitement and peace and God keeps confirming things and everything seems like it's going well. God confirms that you're on the right path and you're going the right way. And that's a really good place to be in. That's where Abram is at this point. He's arrived in the land that God said he's, he's going to give him and God's confirming that he's on the right path. And Abram's a, I'm the great man of faith. And I'm walking in the promises of God, and I'm in line for some serious blessings. Life is going well for Abraham. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Went a bit weird there, sorry. Um, but it's going well for Abraham. God's confirmed that he's meant to be, he's where he's meant to be. But then the story takes a turn. Over to you, Felicity. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. 
When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. Thanks. What just happened there? So, I mean, the story takes a weird turn here. First of all, there's a famine in the land that God sent Abraham into. And is that part of the plan? So if you imagine Abraham, he's got all these people with him, his family members and other people, and loads of animals as well. And a famine comes, and uh, he needs to feed these people. So they decide to go to Egypt. Now, this is um, just a screenshot from maps on my phone. This is modern-day Egypt on the left-hand side there. I don't know if you can see very well, but can you see where the Nile runs up there and then out to where it comes out into the Mediterranean. Can you see the green compared to everywhere else around it? Can you see that from down there? They're all brown to the east, but around there, Cairo and to the north, all that green. So the reason in, in Abraham's time why if there was a famine in the land, um, usually because of lack of rain, you, the reason you go to Egypt is that Egypt wasn't as reliant on rain because Egypt had the Nile, and the Nile would flood every year. There was an annual flooding of the Nile, and that would allow people to still plant, even if it was a bad year for rain. Does that make sense? So if there's, so if there's drought and famine everywhere else, if you look to the east, it's all kind of brown. You could go to Egypt, and you'd probably find food there. So that's what Abraham decides to do. But is that part of the plan? Is that okay with God? Is that a lack of trust? Often, the Bible doesn't give us answers to that kind of question. It sometimes frustratingly stays silent on things we, we'd like to know. And usually that's for one of two reasons. So you'll have to ask a question like that of the Bible. And usually the Bible's silent on it for one of two reasons. Firstly, it's God's way of saying, I've given you a brain. You work out what's going on here. Or secondly, and I think that's what's going on here in this story, is that that question that you're asking isn't the main point of the story. It's not what the story is trying to get at you're asking the wrong kind of question. I think that's the case here. So Abraham arrives in Egypt, and he, he realizes, actually, I've got this really beautiful wife with me, and there's a power structure here. I'm just a refugee arriving with nothing in my hand. I'm here because I'm desperate, and I've got a beautiful wife, and there's a power structure here. I don't know what people's behavior is going to be like. It might be that they're going to kill me to get my wife off me. So, wife, what we're going to do is you're going to pretend to be my sister so they don't murder me and things will go well with me because they'll just think I'm your brother. <laughs> um, and that sounds really weird to our modern ears, doesn't it? What's that about? Is Abraham doing the right thing? Is he acting like a coward? And what about his wife? What about poor Sarai? Does she have a say in the matter? And again, the Bible just stay silent on those questions. So I want you to just imagine the scene. This is something I'd never really thought about before studying this. Imagine Abraham there in his tent. He's left his home and his security, just like God asked him to, and he left and went into the land of Canaan. It was going well. Then there's the famine, and he came to Egypt. So now he's in the wrong place, and now his wife's been taken off him into another man's house, and God's not really saying anything. What's going on? Imagine how Abraham was feeling. How's Sarai feeling? Where is God in all of this? Has God abandoned them because they didn't do the right thing? And coming back to us today, maybe 
it's a little bit like where some of us find ourselves this evening. Maybe you became a Christian a long time ago, and things started off well with God. You knew what God wanted from you. You knew what you were called to do. But over time, and I think this happens to most people, life brings challenges. Life's not easy. Maybe you had to do things to keep money coming in. Maybe God doesn't speak as clearly or seem to speak as clearly as he did before. Maybe relationships have been lost and broken. Maybe you acted in a way that was cowardly. Maybe you're not in the place God called you to be. And these are questions that Abraham may have been asking, but we can ask too. Questions like, have I gone too far from God's plan? Is God still interested in my life? And I'll just quickly, just a side note. I think there's another point here. It's not the main point in the story, but there's another point that's interesting here, looking at this man, the pharaoh, the king. He's the head honcho in Egypt, the big man. And he has all the consumer power. Just look at these verses. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. So Pharaoh gets what Pharaoh wants. And Pharaoh doesn't even have to go and get it himself. He's got people that do that for him. And what about the strangers that he's taken this lady off? Well, he's generous and he's paid them, hasn't he? So everyone's happy. And I can see some of you guys in your faces even now. Some of us will be uncomfortable with this idea of using a lady, Abraham's wife, Sarai, like a commodity, something to be traded with. And you might be saying, that's wrong. And you are, you're right, that is wrong. But all over the world today and all through human history, the reality is, the harsh reality is, that human life has been used as a commodity to be traded with. That's just a reality of our human history. And it's a reality of what's going on today. Even in this country, modern slavery hasn't gone away. Human lives have been treated and are treated as something to be bought and sold. And it's actually the reason why, if in your gut you're feeling that's wrong, human beings shouldn't be treated that way, that's probably because we live in a society that has been very shaped by the teachings of Jesus and of the New Testament on the inherent value of human life. Whoever you are, you have an inherent value. And so that that feeling of revulsion against treating someone like Sarai like that, that comes from living in that kind of background. But there's an important point to be made here. Listen to this. The powerful consumer pays a price and gets what he wants brought to him by a power system that he sits at the top of. And i repeat that again for you. The powerful consumer pays a price and gets what he wants brought to him by a power system which he sits at the top of. And you might think, oh, that's awful, isn't it? That's dreadful. But think about this. Who made the clothes that I'm wearing right now? Who made them? The lunch I had earlier today, who produced that food? Looking at the phone in my pocket, who mined to get the metals in this iPhone? who sweated and worked to make it, 
who walked and carried and drove to bring me all these things? Or if you think closer to home, who's looking after my relatives and my friends so I can have the freedom of a day off today? And then ask yourself this, were all those people paid a wage that I'd be happy to work for? And do they work in conditions that I'd be happy to work in? So this chapter asks a difficult question, which is this. Am I really that different to the Pharaoh? Is anyone being exploited by my lifestyle? I've always found... I'm going to show you some verses from the book of James in the New Testament. I've always found these verses slightly scary in light of the society that I live in and the way that I live as a consumer. And it's always given me pause for thought. And it's these verses. Look, if we think about the way that we consume and where we get our stuff from, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. The Bible's very clear that God is a God who looks out for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. So, back to the story. Pharaoh has Abram's wife in his house. Abram's in Egypt, which is not the place God's called him to be. There's not a lot Abram can do to change his situation. He's low. He's in a real low point. But do you remember what God promised Abram at the start of chapter 12? He said these words, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And the question is, has God forgotten Abram? But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Thanks, Felicity. That's the end of chapter 12. What we know about the ancient world, and this is pretty certainly what would have been going on with the Pharaoh. In the ancient world, if diseases came to your household, if you were sick, doctors were trained to try and deal with the physical complaint, so your symptoms, they would try and deal with that. But they would also look at why is it that you've become sick? Have you offended some kind of god or deity and for that reason you've become sick? What sin have you committed that's made you ill? That's very common in Egypt, in Babylon. It's almost certainly. So the Pharaoh is in this situation where suddenly there's a whole load of diseases in his house. He would have asked his doctors to look into why has this suddenly happened to my household. And so the doctors would have come into Pharaoh and said, well, you must have offended someone's God. Who could that be? They looked into it. This lady, Sarai, who you've brought into your house, is actually that bloke's wife. You need to do something about it. And so Pharaoh is pretty annoyed, like, why have you done this to me? So he tried to figure out what he'd done wrong and what was causing these diseases in his house, and it points to Abram. This lady's someone's wife. You've upset his God. And going back to what I was talking about earlier with the way we consume... Sorry about the camel pictures again. Um, 
Earlier, when I was talking about how we consume things, when people say things like that, we can feel really guilty, can't we? Makes you feel guilty. Oh dear, we better all go home feeling guilty about our lives. Guilty about my phone in my pocket, guilty about my clothes, guilty about my dinner. The point isn't to feel guilty. The point is to do what the Pharaoh did, which is from the position that we're in, am I doing something that's exploiting someone else? And is there something I can do to set it right? Does that make sense? Is there something I can do to make things different? So, question number 10. Am I displeasing God by hurting someone or exploiting someone? And question number 11. How can I put it right like Pharaoh did? So, just a real practical one. If you want some practical things to do to go away from Genesis chapter 12, next time you buy something, whether it's clothing or food or electronic goods, try and find out who is it that's made these things and were they treated in a way that looks like dignity and honor and respect? Or actually, are my consumer habits fueling a system that encourages the oppression of people that I don't even know? Remember, the Pharaoh had nothing to do with Abraham until the end of the story. People brought Sarai to him. And in the same way for us here in the West, we get brought things from people we don't even know. So next time you buy something, why not look into the people that have made it for you or have grown it for you? Try and work out where that's come from. But onto the story itself. The point here is God had not forgotten Abraham or Sarai. Just when things looked really, really hopeless for them, God steps in. I find it really encouraging that Abraham, this great hero of the faith, we all look up to Abraham, what a guy. He was at some point, he was in a tent and his wife had been taken from him and he was a refugee in a land because of famine and he didn't know if God was ever going to speak to him again or not. Have you ever thought about that? But God does step in. He's faithful to his promises. Do you remember that prayer from the start? A prayer to every God. Someone who's just desperately trying to work out, what have I done wrong? How do I please the gods? Contrast that with Psalm 116. Such a different kind of attitude. But this is the God that we pray to. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Think of Abraham in his tent. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again. For the Lord has been good to me. I don't know what your life looks like this evening, but the main takeaway from Genesis chapter 12 is that God hears when we call on him, when we're at the end of ourselves. And I know lots of people in this church, and this is their story, when we're at the end of ourselves, God does step in. And he doesn't, he doesn't step in a way that says, when you've got this sorted, then I'll, I'll come and, and speak with you. God steps in in the situation that we've put ourselves in. We sang earlier, your grace has found me just where I am, empty-handed. And he works with the situation that we're in, and he sends us back in the direction he wants to go. Did you notice, the very first thing God says at the beginning of chapter 12 was that, go, get out. 
The very last words that are spoken in Genesis chapter 12, it's like a bookend. What does the Pharaoh say to Abraham? Go, get out. It's the same words. In other words, God uses the Pharaoh to send Abraham back to where he's meant to be. Go on, get out, you and your family and your people, back in line to where God wants you to be. So I'll end with this. What's the main point of the chapter? The main point of the chapter is God sees us where we are and he's faithful. And even if we've gone miles off track, he's calling us this evening to go again. He sees our situation and he's calling us to go again from where we are now. We don't have to guess, like the person who prayed that prayer at the beginning, we don't have to guess what God wants. He's told us. God speaks to people. What does God want from us? Very simple. He wants us to go into the world and to be a blessing. To go into the world and make disciples. We're to be a blessing. We're not to be like little ponds or pools where the water comes and just gathers. And we're just a little group. Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church. It's a nice, blessed place for me and my friends to feel safe. It's, we're not meant to be like that. We're meant to be like the River Nile. We're meant to flood out into the world and be a blessing and being green and life to a world that needs it. And we might be feeling a bit stagnant. You might feel like you've lost track of things, that God hasn't spoken to you for a while. But the Bible's very clear. This is Philippians chapter 1. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up there. All I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to have a time of silence. And at the end of the time of silence, Noah, if you want to take over, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to put up on the screen just a few of the questions that we had from this talk. So, what is God calling me to leave today? Where is God calling me to go? What blessing will be lost if I don't obey? Or maybe you're here this evening and, and this is what you need to hear. If you're asking, have I gone too far from God's plan? Is he still interested in my life? You need to hear that Jesus is still interested in your life. He's got things he wants you to be getting on with. He's got things he wants to do through you. Or then this one. This is a hard one. Am I exploiting people or hurting people with my lifestyle and displeasing God? And how can I put it right like the Pharaoh did? Are there things about the way I live my life, maybe things that I'd never even thought about, where actually I'm encouraging a system of exploitation, and how can I set that right? 